So ever lost anyone in a crowd? Ever gotten lost in a crowd? Now for the real question. Have you ever intentionally lost someone in a crowd? Or gotten lost? Because you just needed some quiet time. The first known Christmas worship service took place on December 25th, 336 AD. In the ancient world, birthdays were rarely celebrated, which is why we're not exactly sure when Jesus was born. Emperor Constantine decriminalized Christianity in 313 AD, and while he was officially neutral, he returned confiscated property to the church, he built cathedrals, he convened the Council of Nicaea, where the Nicene Creed was formalized, and he even sent his mother to the Holy Land, along with a fairly good-sized army, to find out everything she could about Jesus. While she was there, she built churches and monuments, and she had a hand in deciding since it was believed that March 25th was the date that the angel visited Mary. Well, then nine months later, obviously, was the birth of Jesus, December 25th. And there you go. While Constantine decriminalized Christianity, he didn't outlaw the other religions. And 4th century Rome was not a nice place. And just because someone was decriminalizing something didn't mean it was safe to practice it. So many Christians worked their festivals and celebrations around Roman and pagan celebrations in order to avoid persecution. So Jesus' birthday coincides with Saul Invictus, the Invincible Sun celebration. So believers simply hid in plain sight. Celebrating the light and the sun, S-O-N, and God's power and love, while everybody else was celebrating the S-U-N. The problem with mixing metaphors and celebrations is, eventually people forget why they were doing certain things. Think about all the things that we use to celebrate Christmas. Trees, lights, ornaments, stockings, gifts, a big meal. All of them have their origins in the church. Even Santa Claus, we call him St. Nicholas, he had his origins in the church. Eventually, someone outside the church loved what the church was doing and loved it so much that they brought a tree or gifts or stockings or even St. Nick home. But they left Jesus out of it. And as things morph and change and cultures are mashed and new things are added and other things are taken away, Christmas takes on a life of its own. Many have tried to rename it Winter Holiday, but they haven't succeeded yet. Most people, whether of faith or not, still call it Christmas. One of my favorite people in the world, by the way, she is a very faithful Jew. And every year, she is almost the first to wish me a Merry Christmas. And few remember, by the way, that the word is actually Christ Mass. The Mass, or worship service, celebrating the birth of Jesus. Oh, and a holiday? It's actually Holy Day. Now, Mary and Joseph might have been the first to leave Jesus back at church, but they weren't the last. While not in the Bible word for word, the church often uses the phrase, be in the world, not of the world. Paraphrase of John 17, 14 to 16 and 1 John chapter 12. No, 1 John chapter 2, sorry. One of the hardest things for any believer is learning to live within the constraints, rules, sins, and pains of the world while longing for and remaining faithful to the next world that is already ours through Jesus, but is not ours quite yet because we have to die in order to get there, which is why most of us aren't in a hurry. Until we go home to heaven, though, we have to live here, and that creates some tension. Why wouldn't you leave Jesus in the manger or at the church? I mean, let's face it, if we take Jesus with us out into our world, there are going to be some problems. A lot of people don't like Jesus, 
And if they see Jesus hanging out with us, it's going to be a mess, primarily for us. Jesus told Mary and Joseph he had to be in the Father's house. So if he likes church so much, is it wrong to leave him there and just stop by once a week or so to visit? I mean, that way he's happy and our life would be a lot simpler. The author of the book of Hebrews dedicates an entire chapter to the heroes of the faith by summarizing their life. Now, his purpose, by the way, is not for us to try and be like them, but to inspire us to be us, to be the best us that we can be, <coughs> just as they were the best them that they could be. They were not heroes because they were the strongest or the wisest or the richest. They were heroes because they lived out their faith and proved the grace of God each and every day. This is what Hebrews 11 says. What more can I say? Time is too short for me to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength after being weak, became mighty in battle, and put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead. They were raised to life again. Some men were tortured, not accepting release, so that they might gain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins, in goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. It's that last line that's so important. The world was not worthy of them. Now, before we jump to conclusions, this does not mean that we should run off into the desert or find our own special island and let the world suffer the consequences of their sins, because after all, they deserve it. No, no, Jesus is clear. He wants us to live in the world. He just didn't want us to try and do it without him by our side, which is why leaving Jesus in the manger or back at church is not a very good idea, which is why I'm glad Mary and Joseph went back and got him. See, I know Mary and Joseph didn't mean to leave Jesus at church. They were part of a large group of people from Nazareth making the pilgrimage. And most 12-year-olds, by the way, even if they happened to be God, they still would prefer not to hang out with their parents. But if it was that easy for them to accidentally leave him behind, how much easier is it for us? When we light the Advent candles, we speak the words of Genesis 1, where in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And then we speak the words of John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He is the light, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. You don't know what darkness is until somebody turns on the light. St. Luke spends his time on the human story. Shepherds, a manger, and no room in the inn. St. John spends his time on the cosmic story. Light and darkness, beginnings and truth. Luke's quiet words are about a family caught up in a holy story. John's words are poetic mystery and majesty until the word becomes flesh and dwells among his people. And the light comes into the darkness, and the darkness does not understand it. God is suddenly found among his people. And he's found as a little baby wearing diapers and being rocked to sleep by his mom. Suddenly God is touchable, knowable, lovable. John brings the story into the midst of the people. The God who created all things and who made promises through Abraham, brought freedom through Moses, challenged the faith of people through the prophets, gave guidance through the judges and the kings. This same God became flesh and blood in order to redeem his people. 
And it is in this word becoming flesh that allows us to leave him in the manger or at church. You see, it was so much easier when he was just a cosmic God out there somewhere. We could pretend we didn't know him. Forget about him for a little while. Look to the sky and say, I wonder if anybody's out there. But when God becomes one of you and does what this God does, it makes it much harder to leave him behind. Or forget we know who he is. You see, a word made of flesh and blood is cause for reflection. Light and holiness, moving in the dark and pushing it back. This language is poetic. But we have a million metaphors that allow us, even if we aren't poets, to bring it into something that we can understand. Mental illness, Alzheimer's, chronic pain, loneliness, anxiety, being unwanted, feeling unworthy. Each of these and many more are real struggles between light and dark, between life and death between love and hate, between existence and nothingness. And let's face it, these are the things that make up our life. If we could just sit and talk to each other, being open and transparent about our darkness, if we named it and described the way it affects us or affects someone we love, we would then pray for and receive understanding from one another. We would pray for. Why? because we would realize that it's not just us who feels that way. It is when we set ourselves against one another, competing, struggling, to be different than we really are, that the darkness truly envelops us. But to be honest and open and accepting of one another, recognizing and naming the sins and failures and struggles, that's what would lead us to Jesus, who is the only one who can heal us. And if we are willing, St. John would have us see it, not just into the physical darkness that this light comes, but into our darkness. Each and every time, all of those things and so many more come over us. And who by his coming, he brings a defiant and an expectant hope and light to us. Which is why we must return to the temple to find Jesus. Mary and Joseph could have just left Jesus in the temple. I mean, he was in his father's house, surrounded by priests and holy men. Worship and sacrifices taking place 24 hours a day. I mean, if there was a place for the Son of God to be, it would be there among the worshipers and servants and sights and the smells and the sounds of church. But Jesus didn't come to be worshipped. I mean, that's going to eventually happen. But that night in Bethlehem and that day in the temple, he came to save his people. And part of this beautiful plan of salvation is us knowing that he understands us. He knows what it's like to live in this skin and suffer the way we suffer and celebrate the things that bring joy to our hearts and ask the questions that we ask and cry the tears we cry. Whether it's over a Hallmark movie, cute puppies, or a friendship or a relationship that got broken. When the word becomes flesh and dwelt among us, it wasn't just a publicity stunt, a quick selfie with the lost people or one of those inspirational speeches that the coaches give to their team in the locker room before they go out for the second half. We don't have to go very far to find all the broken stuff in our world, or even in our lives. Every morning around 6.15 p.m., the darkness falls, and we turn on the lights so that we can feel safer. But the darkness is still out there. And by the way, once in a while, when the power fails, we realize how vulnerable we are as we fumble to find the flashlight and then batteries, and then we pray that the power will come back on quickly because our life is built around sights and sounds and lights. Jesus coming soon is the sign on the Apostolic Faith Church in Kalihi. Can't miss it as you're going down the H1. 
On an old electrical box just off the H1 near the Halava exit, uh, the door is ajar, holding on just by a thread, and someone has written, He has risen. In Eva Beach, there are scattered signs that say, Jesus saves. There was a time when no one would have given those signs much thought. Religion, not necessarily faith, was rooted in most people, and so they gave him a quick nod and said, absolutely. But today's different. Many have intentionally left the baby Jesus in the manger or the 12-year-old Jesus at church, and they actually want him to stay there, not bother them as they go about their life. And yet when they see such signs, there is an aching in their soul, even if they don't believe that they have a soul, because they do not have the peace they want. They don't feel happy or whole, and they want to be saved. They just don't know necessarily from what, and they don't want it to be Jesus that saves them. They know the darkness well. It is not the enemy, but it is also not a friend. What bothers them most about the name Jesus is that it's personal. God is nothing more than a concept, an ideology, a religion. But Jesus has a face. He lived a life. He died, and many say he rose again. If you reject him, you are rejecting something far more personal. Someone who gave up everything to walk beside you, love you, remind you of your worth, and offer you redemption from the darkness and everything that happened and happens in it. People leave the baby Jesus in the manger or the 12-year-old Jesus at the temple thinking he'll stay there, that he'll leave them alone. But the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot understand it, nor do anything about it. And so they close their eyes when they realize that the darkness is around them, but the light is following them. And they say, I cannot see you when it is absolutely impossible not to see him. And this, this is where we often discover the terrible truth, that their rejection has little to do with the ability of Jesus to save. It's actually far more personal. They question his ability to save them. And here is why I do not mind sharing cookies and trees and ornaments and lights and presents and Saint Nick and so many other things with the world at Christmas. I don't even mind sharing the name Christmas. I always hope and pray that as people wander in the darkness with their eyes closed, trying to pretend that they can't see Jesus, that the smell of the cookies or the pine trees or the rustle of gifts being opened or the lights on the neighbor's house or even Santa Claus behind socially distant plexiglass waving at wide-eyed kids, that they might begin to open their eyes and let just a little bit of the light in. The darkness is real. But light travels at the speed of light, which is 186,000 miles a second. And light travels to us, whether from the bathroom light or from a star 93 million miles away. And it comes so quickly that we don't even see it coming. It's just here. It's just suddenly all around us. And so it is with the light of Jesus. We can leave him in the manger or church. But his light still reaches us, reminding us of God's love and mercy and grace. The light shines in our darkness, and the only thing that darkness can do is just give way. So hold on to the light of Jesus. Take him wherever you go. Let him light your way home through this world. And let him light your way home to heaven when the day comes. If you've left him in the manger or back at the temple, he's waiting. He'll tell you he had to be in his father's house. He'll make you feel good about it. But then he'll take your hand and walk with you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.